I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Chords Cast. I'm Alyssa Mendel, and today I have with me two special guests. I have Dr. Michael Sasher and David Longman. They're going to share with us a little bit about a condition known as Tango 2. So to get us started, David, would you like to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about your connection to the rare disease community? Sure. Uh, so my name is David. I'm an Australian and uh, I'm the father of a boy who's three and a half years old called Erling. Erling has uh, an ultra-rare genetic condition, which is called Tango 2. Uh, He was diagnosed with this through some genetic tests just after his second birthday. He's a very sweet little boy. He smiles easily. (laughs) He loves his family and friends, and he really likes wheels. Um, Michael, would you want to Tell us your connection to the rare disease community and who you are. Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm a professor in in the biology department at Concordia University of Montreal, um, an adjunct in the Department of Anatomy and Cell Biology at McGill University. And um, yeah, I guess I'll explain how I got involved in rare disease research um, in general, and maybe specifically Tango 2. So so my lab is a basic cell biology laboratory, and we study the question that we address is how proteins get to the right place in a cell at the right time. If you look mm-hmm. at all the different compartments in a cell, they all have different proteins in them. Uh, and so we've been looking at how do those proteins get, how do they know when they're at the right place? Mm-hmm. And um, and our work has led to the identification of a large number of proteins that associate together, and collectively those are called, uh, those complexes that are formed, are called TRAP. And about seven years ago, we collaborated with some uh, clinicians and geneticists who contacted us. We published a paper describing uh, the first individuals with mutations in one of the genes that we discovered in in our laboratory. Uh, And a couple years later, we we published uh, another paper on another one of these genes that we discovered. And that one was called TRAP-C2L. So now those individuals had a very distinct phenotype. Uh, which included an, uh, an illness-induced uh, encephalopathy and rhabdomyolysis. And, um, and until then, such a phenotype was only described for um, disorders that affect cellular energy status. So about a year after that, and this was about maybe two years ago, um, we were contacted by our present collaborator, Dr. Felix Distelmeyer from, from Germany. And he noted a similarity in the... Um, illness-induced encephalopathy and rhabdomyolysis of of the individuals that we published with individuals that he was treating 
who had mutations in Tango 2. And so that's how we came to be involved in rare disease research and specifically in, in the Tango 2 field. Wow, that's fascinating and interesting how you didn't set out to go discover with your intents with Tango 2, but you just kind of happened to stumble upon it. Uh, what is, is there an actual name for Tango 2, or is that the name of the condition as of now? Well, that's the name of the... Um that's the name of the gene the and gene. the associated sure. okay. protein. But originally, it um, there it was an ac- there is an acronym that's used called MECRCN, which is much more descriptive of the um, phenotype, which stands for metabolic encephalomyopathy crisis okay. with rhabdomyolysis, cardiac arrhythmias, and neurodegeneration. So essentially, that's that's uh, describing overall the phenotype that that these individuals have. Uh, they have metabolic crises. Um, which which include uh, lactic acidosis, hypoglycemia. Um, there's developmental delays. There could be seizures even wow. outside of these metabolic crises. There are um, cardiac issues that that can turn into life-threatening fibrilla- uh, ventricular fibrillations. Um, kidney kidney damage as well. So there's there's it's a multi-pronged yeah. um, phenotype. Yeah. Which, for, for a basic cell biologist like myself, might indicate that there are a number of different pathways that, that hmm. this protein impinges upon, not just a single one. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, David, because Dr. Sasher was talking about how this is multi-system, and there sounds like there could be lots of different complications that can go on, what is it like for you as a father to have a child with this condition? Erling was first diagnosed at two years old and his symptoms first started presenting. He was totally normal until he was around one year of age. And after one year year of age, he started showing some symptoms. Uh, they started off as just really irregular episodes where he would sort of become, uh, it's, it's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. If, if you didn't know him, you, would, you wouldn't really pick it up even, but he would sort of just become clumsier his speech, which was still very primitive because he was only, you know, one or so, would become much more slurred. Uh, he'd become a lot weaker. And uh, then they would resolve by themselves over a period of time, maybe from, from one to four hours. Uh, these episodes started to uh, become like more frequent and more frequent. And as that occurred, we noticed a uh, sort of uh, developmental plateau in his, in, in his skills as well. Uh, so, you know, he's only, he's three and a half now, so we've sort of known about the diagnosis for around a year and a half. A lot of the more severe uh, life-threatening complications, Erling hasn't had yet, fortunately. Mm. So as Michael mentioned, the rhabdomyolysis or heart arrhythmias and even epilepsy, Erling hasn't had. Uh, so we've been fortunate that we haven't had to manage that. Uh, but managing his spasticity, his ataxia, mm-hmm. and uh, the global developmental delay has been quite uh, challenging at times, for sure. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, you hear a lot about people with rare conditions being diagnosed, sometimes with multiple different things before they find the right diagnosis. Was that the case with your family, or did that genetic test pretty much tell you what it was right away? Well... We, we knew something was wrong from about one year and six months old. Okay. And in, in the scheme of things, compared to a lot of other parents 
with children with TAGO2. Our diagnosis was very quick, uh, but there still was uh, discussions with the neurologists initially or the paediatricians that we met with and they didn't know what it was and they uh, ordered various gene panels with no success. Mm. We were very lucky in the fact that the doctor, because I previously used to work at a hospital in the neurology department, so I knew a lot of paediatric neurologists and the doctor that we, we, we ended up seeing, uh, Dr. Carver, uh, we were fortunate that she had the one other patient with Tango 2 in wow. Western Australia. Wow. So after, initially she still didn't pick it. And then after I sent her some videos and a very like long description as a text message to say, this is exactly what happens. Uh, then she sent off another uh, panel of genes and that included Tango 2. So we were very, very fortunate. Wow, that is crazy that she had already had one other patient with that. How many people in the world are known to have this condition? Do either of you know that? Uh, I don't have an exact number, but it's very small. There, there was a paper that was published recently that described 20 more um, individuals from a number of different families. But um, off the top of my head at the moment, I would hazard a guess that maybe in the range of 50 to, to 60, 70 different, um, different uh, families. That, I would, I would, I'm not sure about family numbers, but I would wager that it's, I would say it's close to 120 individuals now, just uh, through, you know, like the, the families that we know through the Tango 2 Research Foundation. Yeah, that is incredibly small. Wow. And so you guys are, are you both a part of the Tango 2 Research Foundation? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a part of the foundation in the sense that they've actually generously given me some research funds to, wow, okay. to, uh, to study this disease. Okay. And then, David, I'm sure you're well familiar with the Tango 2 Research Foundation. Could you tell me anything about the foundation? What is the mission of that foundation? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I sit, sit on uh, uh, the Tango 2 Research Foundation in several committees um, through the uh, research committee, I'm in the uh, community outreach committee, and I'm also a regional coordinator for the patients within Australia. And uh, realistically, the foundation's been around for a very short period of time, but it's done a lot of work in the time that it's been around. It started around three years ago, mm. and that was by two parents, that's Mike and Kasha Morris, and they have a Tango 2 affected son called Ryan, who's, he's an adult now, he's 19. Uh, when it started, I wasn't around, but I've heard that basically they just recruited a small bunch of like similarly passionate parents and this developed a charity and the aim of the charity was to fund research into Tanker 2 in order to find a cure for the, for the disease. Largely speaking, our charity is uh, run entirely by volunteers. We have like a very small number of paid staff now, but the majority of the work is done by friends and family members of people that are affected by Tango 2. That's fascinating. Three years isn't very long. You guys have done quite a bit. <clears throat> what advice, David, do you give parents and patients who've received a diagnosis? Well, uh, it, it, lots, there's lots of advice and there's lots of places to get it from. I think it really depends on the age of the child at diagnosis. So obviously the advice that people are seeking for, like, you know, someone that's diagnosed closer to their adulthood is going to be different to their advice offered to someone like my son's age. 
Um, but I think that two of the most useful pieces of advice would be, uh, firstly, to connect with the community on the uh, of Four Tanker Two. Uh, there's a community, uh, like a closed uh, group, uh, that you can access through Facebook. It's called Tango Two Disease. That place is full of parents that are, you know, uh, we're regularly in discussion with each other regarding issues and symptoms and treatments and therapies and things like this to sort of help our kids out. Uh, and then also, uh, when you're ready to become involved with the Tango Two Research Foundation and the fundraising that we uh, we you know do. Besides this, there are uh, other things which should be considered like. Um, getting the information regarding uh, emergency procedures and protocols in the case of life-threatening episodes like rhabdomyolysis. Um, and a lot of that can be acquired through the Tango 2 Research Foundation as well. Very nice. What What is the website to get to there, to the Tango 2? Uh, it's tango2research.org. Okay, okay. And we, we can also be found uh, on Instagram, Tango 2 Research Foundation. Okay, thank you. Uh, so David kind of shared a little bit about, you know, what you can do after a diagnosis. Dr. Sasher, what would, what is something that a patient or a family could do who has this condition that would be helpful for you as a researcher? Yeah, well, look, there, there are certain, like I'm not, I'm not an expert in rare diseases, but I would, I would in my naive, in my naive <laughs> mind, I would say that Certain rare diseases, I mean, the genes are known, the protein is known, and maybe even a bit of the function is known. Uh, I don't think that's the case in Tango 2. Uh, the gene is known, the, the affected protein is known, but what it does in a cell is not known, and that's kind of where we're coming into the to the picture. We're, we're trying to, to address that. Um, and so one of the ways we're doing that is using samples derived from Tango 2 uh, individuals. So we, we work with fibroblast skin cells mainly from from these individuals mm. we perform some specific types of bio uh, cell biological biochemical experiments and we're looking for defects at the cellular level and 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 how we can how we can ultimately uh, not not primarily but how we can ultimately uh, correct those um, <clears throat> starting off firstly with a, a wild type tango to uh, protein so what I would say is is that you know uh, newly diagnosed um, families, uh, yes, definitely should get in touch with the Tango Two uh, Research Foundation. And when they're ready to be involved in in research, then uh, donation of samples such as you know fibroblasts would be would be great because I mean, we're working with a limited number of fibroblasts right now, mm -hmm. um, three or four uh, different from different patients would be nice to see how broadly applicable what we find is to other tango two individuals is it uh, are we constantly seeing the same same uh, cellular defects or are there going to be uh, other types of defects um, it's also good to know um, I mean, for, for newly diagnosed individuals to present themselves um, because i think the the full spectrum of the phenotype is probably not known at this point. I mean, it's the first papers came out maybe four years ago on the first individuals. So knowing the, the phenotype really helps lead some of the experiments that that we do. I mean, some of the the phenotypes point to an energy status issue. And 
you know, uh, I guess if everyone thinks back to high school biology, the energy producing machines of the cells are the mitochondria. And so that directed us a little bit and we do see some mitochondrial uh, issues in Tango 2 individuals. So, so knowing what this full spectrum is, um, although you know we're not doing clinical research, really does help guide some of the basic research that we're doing. Which that basic research could hopefully lead to some of the clinical research too. Right, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, one thing too that you both touched on was that there's not a lot of families out there that have somebody affected by this condition. So another thing too for the audience to remember is you know, in order to continue with research, it's helpful to find as many people with this condition out there. And the CORDS Registry and the Tango 2 Foundation have partnered together to help figure out where all of these people are in the world who have this condition. So when a family is ready to enroll in the CORDS Registry, you're also helping to, for researchers and the Tango 2 Research Foundation to know where everybody is at in the world who has this. That's exactly what I was going to say in regards to what Michael was saying, is that um, in order to uh, categorise the phenotype for Tango 2, we really need to have some sort of registry uh, so that you know uh, researchers can readily access this information uh, on, on patients and get a clear idea of what, what the clinical signs of Tango 2 are. I think that you know, despite our best efforts, it, it's still a developing process and I, I hope that the CORDS registry helps us do this. Yeah, yes, this is it's we're excited to work with you guys and to help connect researchers and patients together through this registry. For this is for you David, is there anything else that you feel people should know about Tango 2 that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, they should definitely know about the Tango 2 Research Foundation. They should definitely know about about cords and and their options for getting involved in in research. Uh, because okay. it is such a rare disease. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, Tango 2, when you think about it, it's not, it's not, it, it's not a disease such as, you know, cancer. Right. Everyone knows about cancer, and there's tons of research money out there for cancer. It's, it's, it's completely different. And the only, um, I think the only way to really push Tango 2 research forward is through foundations such as mm -hmm. the Tango 2 Foundation, where you've got a number of families that are, that are committed to understanding uh, this disease and and to looking to to better their their children's lives and and so I think just I would really stress the Tango Two Research Foundation and courts and mm -hmm. and getting involved in in research to help push this forward because nobody's going to advocate better for Tango Two research than families that have affected children. Yeah, that's oh, yeah, yeah. Well put. Well put. Mm -hmm. The only other thing I was going to mention is that I think that. Um, you know, something else that people should know about that the Tango 2 Research Foundation are involved in and are also funding uh, is a natural history study. Uh, so we have a natural history study which has been conducted through uh, Dr. Seema Lalani. Dr. Lalani is like a very integral member of our research foundation as well. She does a huge amount of her, uh, huge amount of work for us and supporting and guiding us. So we're very appreciative of her. Um, and they're conducting a natural history study which requires uh, you know, access to individuals' uh, medical records so that we can build a very clear mm -hmm. understanding of, you know, not just the clinical phenotype of the disease, 
but also about what interventions, medical interventions, have been successful when they've been applied in hospital in emergency situations. So the only other thing I would suggest people really need to know about that are part of the Tango 2 community is that that natural history study is ongoing and it's hugely beneficial to us. Sure, and how would somebody get involved in that? Uh, They can contact anyone in the Tango 2 Research Foundation and we will send you out information. So a good place to start would be if you know who your regional coordinator is, then they should be able to point you in the right direction. Good, yeah, very good. And lastly, is there a conference or any type of webinars that you guys do or have coming up? Uh, There is. It hasn't been like, uh, the date hasn't been set due to the COVID, we were, we were going to have a, uh, you know, a face-to-face and then COVID hit. And uh, because of that, it has been delayed, but I believe there is plans in the next year uh, to have a, a conference, a video conference. Okay, so people should just keep in touch with the Tango 2 Research Foundation and the date will be released on there soon, I would imagine. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, guys, I appreciate you both taking the time to speak with me more about Tango 2. It sounds incredibly uh, fascinating, all of the work and progress that on the research level and the foundation level that's going on. Um, thank you again for joining me this morning and for you, David, this evening. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry, Chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Quartzcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Quartzcast.